All right. Are you ready for God's word this morning? We shared last week from the book of 1 Samuel, talked about Samuel the judge and the prophet of Israel, how he had been leading the nation and God was God's intent, God's heart for the people to be led by the judge and by the prophet and the priest. However, the people of uh, the nation of Israel, they got weary of it and they wanted a, a king like all the other nations. And so they went to the prophet and they said, you know, you're getting old and we just wanted, we'd like to have a king like the other nations have. So basically, it was a right-out rejection of Samuel's priesthood and his, 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 his uh, uh, tenure as judge and prophet of the land. And so it was a, really just uh, throwing him under the bus, so to speak. And so Samuel went before, the, before God concerning Israel's requests. And God, oddly enough, told Samuel, and said, well, just give the people what they want. Just go ahead and give it to them, but give them a warning of what it's going to be like if they choose to be led by a judge rather than, rather than to be led by God. Now, under the old covenant was uh, prophets and priests and so forth that the people were to be led by. Under new covenant, in this hour that we're living in today, known as the hour of the church or the dispensation of the grace of God, we have the Spirit of God living within us. So it's God's ultimate intention as far as kingdom principles and godly principles and godly government that we are led by the Spirit of God within us. And we are to be yielded to the Spirit of God within us. Now, God did ordain governments, and we are to be in submission to government in, in, in its proper role. And so we're to yield in the natural world, we're to yield to government, but when it comes to kingdom principles, we're to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so in this subject on, on, on a never stop praying is that when Samuel went before God and God said, don't worry, he said, give them what they want. And Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're not, they're not rejecting your tenure as a judge or as a prophet. What they're doing is they're rejecting me. They're rejecting God in their lives. They're rejecting God as being number one in their lives. They're rejecting me as, as their leader, as their provider and their protector. I'm sufficient for them if they would only have me however they chose that they would, they'd rather have a king. So give them a king and uh, warn them what it's going to be like. And if you read that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it talks about all types of extractions known today as taxes taxations on the people uh, as a result of wanting a king rather than being led by the, the prophet and the priest. And then uh, Samuel obeyed God and he installed King Saul as the king of Israel and had a great start to it, but it, it pretty much declined from there on down. Saul actually ended up in his tenure actually being, you know, just a really radical wild man and just completely insane and crazy. But that's what the people asked for. But uh, Samuel told the people uh, that, you know, I'm going to give you a king. And then the people realized, oh, my gosh, we just asked for a horrible thing here. We made a poor decision. Samuel said, don't worry. God is not going to reject you. And neither am I going to sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. So he warned, he, he told them, I'm not going to stop praying for you. I'm not going to sin against my God in stopping my role as prophet and priest and judge in ceasing to pray for you. And God's not going to abandon you God's, because, because of his great namesake. Now, God not abandoning, abandoning them was not an endorsement of their choice. Sometimes people get confused and make a bad choice, and then they find out that God still loves me, so that means my choice must be okay with him. No, 
Him not abandoning, abandoning us in, 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 in our poor choices does not mean that it's an endorsement of our decisions. However, he will continue to love us and he will continue to provide for us and continue to draw us to himself. And so the, the purpose, the, the title of to never stop praying was, comes from Samuel saying, I, will, I won't sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. Likewise, we must never cease to pray for the people that we are instructed to pray for. The word of God gives plenty of admonition to an admonishment to pray for one another and to pray for those in positions of authority over us. And that's, that's incumbent upon us that we be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God, to the commandments of Scripture, and to pray for people in positions of authority over us, whether it be local, state, or national government, we are to be in prayer for them. And in Second, First Chronicles seven fourteen, the Scripture says, "If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land." And I can, I would just, you know, I, I tried to imagine what it would be like if all of us Christians everywhere, all across the globe, but then you bring it down locally, Christians just in the United States of America, if we would take our responsibility and pray for those in positions of authority over us. If we would do that and be in submission to God's word and to do that, because the scripture tells us that we could live a quiet and a peaceable life and God would have all men drawn unto him. It would be a very, very tranquil place to be in, a, a very tranquil environment and a great revival taking place if we all just stepped up to the plate and purpose that, you know what, I'm not going to cease praying. I'm not going to pray just because you, I'm not going to stop praying for you because you offended me. I'm not going to stop praying because you made a choice that I'm not in agreement on. I'm going to continue to, take, to fulfill my responsibility to pray. So we always want to be doing that. We always want to be men and women of prayer and to do so with the right heart and to never give up. So Samuel said he'd never stop praying, but yet when you follow the history of, uh, you follow the next several years, the tenure of King Saul, things did not go well. I mean, he started out winning some battles and so forth, but he actually ended up being a wild man. And, uh, and, and Samuel kept praying, even when things looked like they were getting worse instead of better. Have you ever prayed for something and it seems like things got worse rather than better? Have you ever experienced that in life? You're praying, you're praying, and you're praying, and the kids are getting wilder and wilder. Or you're praying, and it just seems like things are getting darker and darker. There's more chaos. You're praying for healing, and your body just keeps hurting and hurting and hurting and even declining. You keep praying, and you keep praying, and the financial situation just doesn't seem to turn around. But you must keep praying. You say, why should I continue to pray? Because behind the scenes... Many times it's behind the scenes to our natural eyes and to our five physical senses. God is at work doing a work that we're not aware of. And too many times we stop just short of our miracle. We don't want to stop short of the miracle. While Samuel's praying for Israel and he's praying for King Saul, God in the background is raising up a young shepherd boy named David and he becomes the king of Israel. That wasn't known. We know it from history, but that was not known to the people of Israel. It was not known to Saul, but that's what God was doing. So we always want to keep praying. Behind the scenes, God is working. It doesn't always stay unveiled, but you know, something has to be planted into the ground, and you have to allow it to take root and to establish under the ground before it comes up out of the ground, before it becomes visible. So we keep praying. We never give up. We never, we never cease praying. 
I shared with you last week from 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. I said, when we memorize this, we'll go on to another topic. So do you all have it memorized? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. See, I'm going to remember, I'm going to memorize a verse of scripture this week. Can you put it up there? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. I have it memorized. Are you ready for it? You can do this. Never stop praying. You got it. All right. That makes you some of the most, most spiritual people in Berks County. You know your Bible verses, right? Never stop praying. Luke 1.8 tells us that we should always pray and never give up. Never give up. Always be praying and never give up. Then in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, the scripture tells us that the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So we want to be not just praying, but we need to be earnest and we need to be disciplined in our prayers. So there's many uh, references in Scripture encouraging us, instructing us to be men and women of prayer. But I find in my own life and just my observation of other people's lives that knowing the Scriptures, knowing that 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, even having it memorized, and what does it say? Excellent, you got it. Never stop praying doesn't seem to suffice in keeping us in the game in prayer. It doesn't seem to suffice. All the different scriptures and admonitions we have in the Word of God, we still find ourselves not praying like we ought to be praying, or we are getting discouraged, or we're being lazy in it and just kind of nonchalant in it, praying but not really uh, having a vision of uh, what the outcome of this prayer is going to be and just kind of doing it out of a religious exercise, but not really doing it with love and, and doing it with a, a, a heart of faith, really believing that the scripture is true when God's word declares that he hears the prayers. He hears our prayers. And when we know that he hears our prayers, we also know that God answers our prayers. So we want to get into that place where we know that God hears and he answers prayers. And so even though we have all these different encouragements and, and scriptures instructing us to do so, it just doesn't seem to be mobilizing us as we ought to be mobilized. We need to become totally convinced of the necessity of prayer. This is what I find helped me the most in staying uh, consistent in prayer to the degree that I am consistent. I need to grow in it as well. I can, uh, uh, I can get lukewarm in it and cold in it in different seasons and get passionate about it. But, uh, but what helped me more than anything in staying consistent with it is becoming aware of the necessity of prayer and becoming convinced of the power and the results of answered prayer is to have the question answered in my life. And I want to address that today and hopefully it'll be a help to you and help perhaps address the question in your life is why prayer? Why do I need to pray? Why should I never stop praying? I did pray and nothing changed. Does God really need us to pray? Or does he just want me to pray? Is it just a parental thing? Is it a discipline that he's trying to put into us for? We don't know exactly what the outcome of it is, but it's sort of like, you know, you need to exercise. Well, why do I need to exercise? Do I believe it? Am I really exercising or am I just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my chances on not doing it? We need to be prayer. And why praying? Does God need me to or does he just want me to? And if he really needs me to, do my prayers really, really make a difference? 
Are they really making a difference? You know, for example, we're told to pray for laborers in the harvest. Well, what's the deal? My understanding of God and his love for the world and sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to shed his blood for the remission of our sins and that he was buried and the third day was resurrected from the grave. I thought God so loved the world that, you know, he doesn't want anyone to perish. Well, if God doesn't want anyone to perish, why does he need me to pray that people don't perish? Why doesn't he just save everyone? If that's really what he wants. After all, we often hear in Christian circles, we hear, the, we hear terminology that says God is in control. God is sovereign and God is in control. And God is sovereign and God does have ultimate control. But he needs us to pray. In his sovereignty, in his authority, in his control, whatever terminology you want to use, God has decided that he's going to work in the earth, on the earth, through his creation. He's going to work through humanity. And his covenant relationships with Old Testament saints and with his covenant relationship with us today as the church, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, but we are the body. Now, you remove the head from the body, the body becomes pretty useless. And a head without a body, the head is useless. It's a little graphic, but get the picture. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Do you think Jesus needs a body? One of you. The rest of you think, no, he's fine. It's <laughs> just a head floating around. <laughs> Here comes Jesus' head. He's going to lay hands on you. Oh, no, wait a minute. He doesn't have a hand. Here comes Jesus' head. He's going to feed you clothe you. Wait a minute. He doesn't have any feet. He can't get to you. Does Jesus, as the head of the church, need the body? Yes, Yes, he needs you. Why pray? Because Jesus needs you to pray. God needs you to pray. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. And so, We need to be praying. If God wants people saved, you know, why doesn't he just get people saved? Why do I feel like I'm trying to talk God into something he already said he really wants to, he wants it to happen? Why do I feel like I need to talk him into it? Well, sometimes we get, you know, sometimes I think, well, it's it's like a parental response or or a teacher response because, because I told you so. I told you to. That's not a really good answer. It's not a really good response. But nonetheless, sometimes we think, well, it's because I said so. Uh, That's not a real good motivation. Uh, Especially that that type of motivation has never worked well on me. As nice and calm and compliant as I am, I I have a, I I do have a streak of rebellion in me. Whenever, even as a child, when I heard that because I told you so, my my back was stiff enough. I say, oh yeah, you told me so. That's not that's not a good enough reason. I need to have more evidence. I need to have greater reasoning than I told you so. So it's important for us to understand that that God and His Sovereignty, God and his control has decided to work through humanity. We have various references that throughout the word of God. So we need to understand that our sovereign God for his own reason, this is from 
a, a quote from uh, C. Peter Wagner in his book on Confronting the Powers. It says, we must understand that our sovereign God has for his own reasons so designed the world that much of what is truly his will, he makes contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. He allows humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify the atonement, but human inaction can make the atonement ineffective for lost people. Doesn't nullify it, but our inaction can make it ineffective. Then Jack Hayford, another man that had written quite a bit on, on uh, prayer, in his book on prayer is invading the impossible, made this statement. He said, prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God towards the realization of his redemptive purposes on earth. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15, we are instructed that the Lord placed man in the garden to tend and to watch over it. To tend and to watch over it. Everyone say, to tend it. And to watch over. Say, to watch over it. So God created man. God created Adam and Eve. We also have it in Genesis chapter 1. But in Genesis 2, 15, it says that the Lord placed his creation, man, in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. That is delegated responsibility. Delegated authority. I am the like Pastor Rodney used to say, I'm the founding lead pastor of Grace Church. <laughs> I didn't know I had such a long title until Pastor Rodney came along. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm the founding lead pastor of Grace Church. Over here to my left, we have what we refer to as the children's wing, Grace Kids, and there's multiple classrooms over there, multiple age groups being taught the Word of God. I have delegated the responsibility of what goes on in Grace Church to a lady called, named Donna Litwin. Donna has recruited and trained and developed other people that work with her, helping to teach the various classes. I'm not even sure who's in what class today, but I know Donna has a responsibility because I delegated it to Donna. How things go back there today whether they go well or whether they don't go so well, it's Donna's responsibility. You say, well, Pastor Ray, you're the senior lead pastor. It's your ultimate responsibility. Ultimately, I'm the one that's in authority, but I've authorized Donna to have responsibility. And if Donna doesn't show up and none of her people show up, then someone's not doing their responsibility. That doesn't mean it wasn't my will that things are chaotic back there. It's always my will that things go very, very well in the ministry, in the worship ministry, in the production ministry, in student ministries. And so if there's everything that goes on, that it, that it goes well. But I've delegated it to other people. I've given authority to other people. And whether it goes well or not is now contingent upon them. If it doesn't go well, that does not mean it's not my will for it to go well. So when things, whether things are going good in the garden where God put humanity, Adam and Eve were, and, and their offspring, whether things went well or whether things went horribly wrong was contingent upon man's choice.
Most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story. Adam and Eve did not make a very good choice. They chose to obey the voice of the serpent. They yielded to the temptation of the serpent, and they gave the responsibility and the authority to, to tend and to watch over the garden, over the earth. They gave it over to Satan. And we know that because the scripture tells us in the gospel, Luke chapter 4, when, when we have the temptation of Jesus, see, Satan was successful in tempting Adam and Eve, and they yielded to him. The Bible refers to Adam as the first Adam, and Jesus is referred as the second Adam because God, God sent Jesus into the earth to win back the authority for humanity to watch and to tend over the earth. Satan knew that. That's why when Jesus came, Satan immediately puts up a challenge and tries to test Jesus in the wilderness. He said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this earth. Well, how could Satan give Jesus all the kingdoms of this earth if he bowed down to worship him, if he didn't have possession of them, if he didn't have the authority to do so? He had the authority to do so. He said, I will give them to whomever I will. They have been given over to me, and I will give them to whomever I will. He's referring to the temptation back in the garden where Adam and Eve were placed to tend and to watch over it. They didn't do a very good job of it. They yielded to the serpent. Now Satan is tending and watching over. Jesus refers to Satan several times in the scriptures as the God of this world the God of this world system. And so why do we need to pray? Because we are now back because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, before he ascended, he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now you go in my name and do kingdom work. Jesus regained the original authority that God gave to humanity. Humanity gave it over to Satan. Jesus came back and destroyed the works of the evil one. He now has authority given back to him. Jesus now has the authority, but he's going to go back to heaven. And he said, I'm going back to heaven. Now you go, the church, you go as my body, represent me. You go in my name and do kingdom business. So we are in that same place now as what Adam was to, to watch over and to tend and to keep the garden. How things go in the garden, whether they go well or not so well, is incumbent upon us, the body of Christ. That's why we need to pray. We need to receive the help of God. We need to have the wisdom of God. We need to have the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit within us to make right choices to make good decisions, to live well, to love well, to relate well to one another, and to get rid of all the darkness and the chaos and the confusion. Now, I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about within the church itself. We are to be the salt and the light of the earth. How things went on the earth originally was, was upon Adam, and they didn't go well. Things went into chaos. And we can't blame the chaos and the confusion and the strife and the fighting and the warring and all the evil stuff that's going on in our culture today, all the confusion that's going on. We can't 
just sit back and just point our fingers at people that aren't even born again. We need to stop pointing fingers and start praying. And I'm saying praying, I'm talking about really connecting with God and really receiving the power and the anointing and the grace of God on our lives that in the midst of all this chaos, we can be as a light shining forth. We can be that north star. We can, we can really be a source of uh, peace and a source of comfort and a source of wisdom and healing in people's lives right in the middle of all the confusion that's going on in the world today. So the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. That's an awesome responsibility. That was a huge responsibility. Likewise, we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a huge responsibility, and that's why we pray. That's why we pray. It's not just a religious exercise. It's not just something we do out of habit, but we really need to learn to pray. Let me give you some, uh, another scripture I want to share with you. In Psalm 115 and verse 16, if you put that up on the screen, please, 115 and verse 16 tells us that the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all. To who? He's given the earth to all humanity. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Now let's turn to Psalm 8. I'm going to read several verses from Psalm 8. Begin reading at verse 3 of Psalm 8. It says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to see the night sky without any light pollution. If you've never had that opportunity, put that on your list of things that, I, that you'd really like to see, is to see the night sky without any humidity and no light pollution. Several years ago, the family and I, we had the privilege of uh, going rafting through the Grand Canyon. And then at nighttime, we camped right along the banks of the Colorado River in the canyon. And I remember the first night, we set up camp, just set up cots. The weather was so perfect, we just set cots up right along the river. We didn't use the tent. I'm lying on my cot on my sleeping bag, and I'm just looking up, and it's starting to get dark. And I'm seeing stars appear like I've never seen before. And I was so sleepy from the travel and just getting there and just getting started. And I'm, I'm like fighting my sleep. I don't want to sleep. I'm see how many stars there really are. But I remember eventually I fell asleep, but then I woke up a few hours later and I was just like, oh my goodness. I thought there was a lot of stars before I fell asleep. But after I fell asleep for a few hours and woke up like at two o'clock in the morning, absolutely no, no humidity and no light pollution in the canyon, so that kind of put your peripheral vision, you're like up here, and you're looking up at a completely black sky and to see the multitudes of stars, it's just absolutely incredible. So if you've never been to a place like that or something similar to that where you can see the night sky without any humidity and no light pollution, you can and you come across a scripture like this and you know the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. There are so many stars, it's just absolutely incredible. You think the few that we see is it. 
Uh, there's a whole lot more than what we can see normally in, in this area of the planet that we live in because we have so much humidity. And, of course, where I live, there's also too, way too much light pollution to really appreciate a night sky. But it's definitely worth your, uh, worth your while if you ever have that opportunity to see a, a completely dark night sky. I'm digressing. Verse 4. Uh, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. How's that for an answer to why pray? Instead of because I told you so, how about because you have responsibility? You have an awesome responsibility and you have, you have great authority to tend and to keep the earth. And, and so it's an awesome, awesome responsibility. Charge over everything, putting all things under their authority. Now, God did not give away ownership of the earth. He did assign the responsibility, though, of governing it to humanity. If things became messed up, it would be because of humanity. If the earth remained a paradise, it would be because of humanity tending and watching over it. The first Adam failed in the temptation. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was tempted in all points, even as we are, yet he did not fail. He did not fail. And, so, and then he gave the authority and the assignment back to us to have responsibility to guard and to tend and to keep. I want to read one more portion of scripture with you, for you. This has to do a lot with the, the resurrection. Many times you hear about uh, these particular verses from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but just let me read a couple of verses to you. Then we're going to go ahead and, and worship the Lord again, but I just want, to, want you to hear this. It says, after that, I'm going to say after that. So this is after something else happened, all right? After that, you can read the chapter before this to find out exactly what he's talking about, the resurrection. After that, the end will come when he will return, when, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father. So there's a time coming where Jesus is going to turn things back over to God. So think about this the next time you hear the phrase. You're going to hear it in the song, matter of fact. God is in control. He is. In his control, he delegated some things. Eventually, some of that delegated authority is going to be put back to him, and all things are going to be perfect, just like they were at the very beginning. Until then, we pray, we worship, we love. After that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. Christ must reign. Christ is the head of the church. And who is the body? We are. We are to reign together with him. We are reigning together with Christ. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ must reign. So we must reign as Christians, Christ-like, representing God on the earth. We have an awesome responsibility to pray. 
For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scripture says, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. There's a time coming when all the delegated authority is going to be put back to God and all things come back under his feet. Right now, God has delegated and he's delegated it to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus being the head, we are the body. We submit to Jesus. We are his voice. We are his hands. We are his feet. If the poor are going to be clothed, if the hungry are going to be fed, if the message is going to be proclaimed, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon the body of Christ. Yes, Jesus is the head, but he needs the body. The body needs the head, and the head needs the body. We have to be connected. We have to flow together. That's why we pray, so we stay on the same page, so we have wisdom from heaven. We draw wisdom from the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We get the love in our heart flows from the head, and it just continues to flow through us. And so let's take that responsibility, and next time you think about prayer, you think, oh, I just don't feel like praying. Just get the bigger picture. Keep the bigger picture in mind. Don't let the petty offenses I say petty, they're petty in comparison to the big picture. I know offense hurts. I've been offended once or twice, even a whole lot more than that now that I think about it. But I've been offended enough to know that it, it, it can really hurt. It can be very discouraging, very disheartening, especially when you're offended by another believer or whatever. You know, we've all been there. We all have our war stories. Some are much more egregious than others and my heart goes out to some of the just the egregious offenses that take place are just you know incomprehensible i've been fortunate not to have anything what i would call egregious but i have been offended but let's not let those things distract us from the big picture and that is to really be about the father's business and yes their temptations come and they will continue to come but like jesus he was tempted in all points but he didn't yield to it he stayed focused. He said, it is written. Let's stay focused on what is written in the word of God. And that is that, you know what? God is looking to us to tend and to guard. So how things are going on the earth is really our responsibility. It's not primarily the government's responsibility. As a people, Christians and non-Christians, we've stopped looking to God and we look to government. And then government scrambles to try to fix things that they are not anointed to fix. And just it, it spirals out of control. Then we become cynical of government. And it was never government's responsibility in the first place. Our responsibility is to pray for government. They have their place. Let's pray for them. But let's rise up and let's do our part. Amen. You can't do more than pray until you prayed. So let's begin with prayer. And then let the Holy Spirit lead. Who should I be reaching out to? Who am I to love? Who am I to help clothe? Who am I to help, you know, 
How do I feed the hungry? How do I do what God's leading me to do? Amen? Praise God. Love you. I want to encourage you to just continue to love God and continue to pray. And I just want to share that with you because these thoughts and these verses that I shared with you are, are what anchor me and, and keeping me stabilized. And, okay, I need to pray. I don't agree. I think that's an egregious decision that our government just made, and I don't agree with it. But my responsibility is to pray. Pray for government. Pray for those positions of authority over us. And I can live a quiet and a peaceable life. And God will have all people drawn unto him. Let's continue to do it. You continue to do it. Amen. We can do it corporately. We can do it privately. But do it by all means. Would you please stand? A good, a good way to pray. Many times it's not just petitionary prayer. But it can be through worship. Through honoring the king. Through just giving him the place of honor in your heart and and so we're going to do that just by just worship along and just exalt the king of kings and the lord of lords he is ultimately in control but while he's ultimately in control he's delegated responsibility to us after the worship song and service is over remember if you're a first time guest we'd love for you to stop by our connection center uh, at the back of the auditorium before you head out the exit doors you make a left and some people will meet you back there but just know that God loves you if you need prayer you can meet with Jason right up front here if you need prayer today after the service. Just come right to the front and Jason will meet you up front here. So God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday morning. God bless.